Let's open in prayer. Our Father, our King, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have to uh, dwell in Sukkot. We thank you that you have uh, you've called us to this divine appointment. We thank you that you've called us to this place, and though it is temporary, and that in a few days we will take these down, we understand that they they give us a sense of the eternity. And Father, we thank you that you have you have called us to this eternity. We bless your name. And we gratefully thank you for your word that you have opened to us. We pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. I'm going to go back to this blessing again, if you don't mind. This is is from uh, Shimona Esrei, Bina. You graciously endow man with wisdom and teach insight to a frail mortal. Endow us graciously from yourself with wisdom, insight, and discernment. Blessed are you, Lord, gracious giver of wisdom. We've, uh, we've seen this uh, life under the sun is harsh, and we've been called to live in t- temporary dwellings. And uh, it is one of those uh, ironies that as we, as we study Kohelet, Ecclesiastes, and, and identify with the vanity or the vainness, the vapor or the temporariness of life, life that's confined by time, uh, that we at any time believe that it's lasting. It's, it's ironic that we actually act like it's lasting when we know better. And uh, this time of Sukkot is a unique time where we've been called together to, uh, to experience temporariness, intentionally experience temporariness, intentionally experience uh, hardship, (laughs) Uh, uncomfortableness, Uh, and yet we're commanded to do it with joy. And the joy that we receive is obviously not from the temporary, but that we've been called for this divine appointment, and that for a moment we experience Eternity. This is from Exodus 34, verses 5 through 6, and also verses 28 and 29. Now Hashem descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Hashem. And Hashem passed before him and proclaimed, Hashem, Hashem, God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So he was there with Hashem forty days and forty nights, speaking of Moses. He neither ate bread nor drank water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him, speaking of speaking to us, talking and speaking with, uh, with the Lord, and that his face shone. Uh, anybody know what this passage is? Uh, what it's usually described as? Exodus 34, verses 5 through 6 specifically? The 13 attributes of the Almighty. And uh, what we understand is this self-declaration, this self-description of God had some role in... in uh, and the fact that Moses' face shone when he came down from the mountain. We've been looking at vanity. We've been looking at the things that are vain, the things that are visible, the things that are, seem to be 
material and, and remarking how life under the sun is difficult and it's harsh. And it is very sad that we, uh, we know people. Maybe you, you can identify with yourself where you know that life is sad and very difficult yet doesn't matter because it's life under the sun and that's all there is. And we know that there's something more. Life under, the, uh, life under the heavens is far more. And we were told at the end of Ecclesiastes what it is, what that far more is. It says, fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the, du- this is the whole duty of man. When we see that we have, when God gives us his word and he he explains himself as he did to Moses, when we're given these shadows and shapes, we need to reflect on the fact that they are teaching us what God looks like. And he doesn't have a, a form that we can see. He does not have a uh, he does not have an outline that we can uh, comprehend. He's beyond that. He's he transcends our senses. So he expresses himself in the language of men. He expresses himself in ways that we can comprehend. And the way that he expresses himself first and foremost is through his word and his words that he's spoken. Specifically in his commandments we talked about yesterday. And their shadows, their shadows, the substance, what do they point to? They point to his very shape. Specifically in Colossians 2, we see that they point to the shape of Messiah. They give us the, they give us the idea they give us the representation of what we cannot see. I have a lot of people say to me, and maybe you have people say to you as well, maybe you've said this yourself, you know, I don't need those things anymore. I'm glad we don't have sacrifices, and I'm glad we don't have a tabernacle or a temple anymore. I'm glad we don't have all those things that we had to do, those, th- those things from the old law, because now I have Christ, and He's enough, and He's more, and anything added to Him is in fact takes away from him and I would have to agree with that last point but what I would disagree with is that I have him in the way that you're describing when was the last time you saw him Did you, have you seen him recently I experienced him last night I experienced him this morning because I was where he told me to be when he told me to be there doing what he told me to do that's seeing him as much as you're going to see him for a long time. Hopefully not for a long time. Soon in our days. Second Corinthians chapter 3. We're looking at shadows. We're looking at the bizarro world. It says shadows are bad. Ooh. Not only, you know, not only shadows don't show you anything, they're bad. They can deceive you, lead you away. And Paul warns us, actually, of the bizarro world. How does he warn us? He warns us and say, don't, don't listen to philosophy, empty deceit. It's a lie. It seems right, but it's according to the traditions of men. And he, he, uh, he speaks in, uh, in 2 Corinthians of something very similar. And if you remember, if you read Kohelet, with the idea that there's... Uh, that, that, that shadows are bad or, or rather that Kohelet Solomon is trying to deceive us in some way that God, uh, God has given us words that are kind of wise mixed with error or whatever whatever people have done to explain away Ecclesiastes you might be able to, you might be able to understand what we're going to talk about today when we look at a passage of scripture and like we did yesterday where one group of people said this is what it means and you look at it and go no it's exactly the opposite of that how is it possible that God's word can change based on what people what people perceive? Second Corinthians chapter three. You may be very acquainted with this. 
verses 1 through 4. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Messiah, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. This is what we were talking about yesterday. The world sees righteousness because the servants of the Almighty live His righteousness. And that's the only way they see righteousness. His servants display it. These, these who, whom Paul is speaking of are an epistle. They speak, written by all men. Read by all men. Verse 4. Um, Actually, it's supposed to go through verse 14, I think. But So let's keep reading. And we have such trust through Messiah toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written engraved on stones, was glorious, was it? <laughs> Was it? Yes. If the ministry of stones, if the ministry of condemnation, excuse me, where was I? If the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministers of the Spirit not be glorious, more glorious? If the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, shame on him. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. For those of you who don't know, that's the only reference in all of Scripture to the phrase Old Testament or Old Covenant. Because the veil is taken away in Messiah. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That is. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The most common misunderstanding of this passage is this, first of all, well, actually the ministry of death, but also that Moses was in somehow being deceitful to the children of Israel by covering up his face. I was taught, not by my mother, so y'all don't blame Shosho for this, but I was taught that, that Moses was afraid. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. yeah. Moses was afraid that the glory, as it faded, after coming down from the mountain, being, being, having the 13 attributes of the Almighty revealed to him, and his face glowed that after coming down from the mountain he was afraid that over time it failed it, it faded the glory faded and so he covered his face in order to show not let it be seen that the glory had faded if you know Exodus 34 and following you know that's not true at all 
why is it no one reads why is it everyone reads 2 Corinthians 3 and gets this theology and, go, and doesn't go back and read what happened let's go back and read what happened Exodus 34 5 through 7 because if we miss this point we're going to miss a lot of what we learned in Ecclesiastes life under the sun may be harsh and we may live under the sun we may live in a temporary and vain vaporous dwelling (laughs) but we also live under the heavens and we've been given a purpose and a calling see I never I never turn while I talk and that's the problem Exodus 34 verse 5 just talk amongst yourselves while I turn <laughs> Never mind, I changed my mind. <laughs> now the Lord descended to the, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Go down to verse, uh, verse 29 now. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands, when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with... with who did he speak with? When he talked to Hashem, his face was glowing, right? It didn't come from some other weird source. It glowed because he talked to God. Uh, verses 30 through 35. Excuse me, it's chapter 34, verses 30 to 35. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses' face, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Yes, that's exactly what, what Paul speaks of in Second Corinthians. They were afraid to come near him. Why were they afraid to come near him? I've never seen anything like this. Have you seen lithographs of Moses with horns? Anybody seen that before? That's, that's what this is. That's what this is speaking of. There aren't horns. Actually, this is the word. We're going to look at it in a second. But yeah, you see it with horns on it? It's like it's not trying to make him look evil. <laughs> it's trying to describe something that's indescribable. <laughs> the best as they can. Maybe I don't like the picture either, but at least, at least they're trying to describe it the way that it shows up here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, because that's the Hebrew and we're going to look at that in a second um, whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses the skin of Moses excuse me i got to go back verse 34 but whenever Moses went in actually i got to go to verse 33 and when Moses had finished speaking with him speaking of speaking with them he put a veil on his face when did he put a veil on his face? after he was speaking with them but whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him he would take the veil off until he came out and we would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded and whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak to him again what's, what's the order of events here? Moses is revealed God reveals himself to Moses he comes down from the mountain his face is shining the children of Israel are fearful of this shining face. So he covers his face with a veil because they're afraid. Just like when they said, somebody else, Moses, you speak. God's words are too, are too difficult for us. You speak for him. That's right. He put the veil over his face after he's finished talking to them. And then what would he do? He would go into the, speak, into the tent of meeting, speak to the Lord again. And then what would, he, what would he do with the veil? He would come out without a veil on his face. The people could see that he had been in the presence of the Lord. And what was happening to his face? It was glowing. Why? Because he had been in the presence of the Lord, hearing his words, 
so his face glowed again. When did he cover his face? After he told them what the Lord had said. The glowing of the face is directly... Uh, it directly correlates to the words that God spoke to Moses. That's what Paul wants us to see in 2 Corinthians. He's not telling us Moses fooled us, that, he was, that it was fading. No, in fact, it's a very bad translation. It's an extremely bad translation. There is never a record anywhere in Scripture that the glory faded from Moses' face, ever. It came from a mistranslation of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, a misunderstanding of 2 Corinthians 3, by the same people who might misunderstand Kohelet. Yeah. Yes. So is our face shine? I don't know. Yes. Let's look a little bit, because that's a great question that I hope by the end of this lesson we'll have an answer for. That's, that, that's my question, too. Will my face shine? Does my face shine? Let's keep going. This, this, this glow... Quran. It is, I mean, if you find it other places in the Psalms, it's horns. <laughs> what is this glow? It's rays. It's rays. Um, we see it as, as showing the holiness of God. It's rays of light. I mean, I, I don't, there's no better description other than Quran, you know. If you don't know what that is, well, neither do I. <laughs> it's like horns. It's like rays of light. It's scary. Maybe if you don't know what it is, it's scary. If you don't understand it, it's scary. Maybe if you think it's a ministry of death, it's scary. We don't want to see it as a ministry of death. It literally means horns. Go to Numbers chapter six, uh, Numbers chapter 12. What was it that Moses was seeing? What was it that was glowing on his face? What is it that Paul wants us to see? That we could be transformed by, as in looking in a mirror. Numbers chapter 12, verse 6. I hope you know these words. Then he said, this is is Hashem, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. From Hebrews? Or Hebrews from here? I speak with him face to face, even plainly, not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of Hashem. Why then are you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? People that read, Moses was deceiving the children of Israel by putting a veil over his face. Why are they, why are they not afraid to speak against his servant Moses? most humble of all men. It's a character assassination, I think. It's okay, they don't stop with Moses, but... (laughs) But Moses, the most humble of all men, who, who spoke face to face with the Almighty, who saw the form... I I can't explain that, I don't have to, because I I don't have to. I saw the form of God. This humble man, this greatest of all prophets, until one who came after him. He is being accused of something that is really very, very bad. Deceiving. Deceiving. A trickster. Go to Psalm 17. Psalm 
We're looking up. We're looking up scripture passages because everything I say is just words anyway. 17.15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Isn't that great? What a great picture. I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I wake in your likeness. Who's righteousness? How do I see his face in righteousness? What is righteousness? The Torah is righteousness. Without the Torah, we have no idea what righteousness looks like. We, we cannot comprehend righteousness as glorious as the sunrise and the sunset is. It does not reveal the righteousness of God in the sense that we need to know how to live. Okay, I'm going to give you an answer. I'm not saying that I necessarily agree with you exactly. Oh, but see, the Holy Spirit will tell us. And He will. He will. And what will He tell us? He'll say... That's right. Absolutely. That's okay. It's okay. Listen, we, although we all may agree, we need to be careful not to criticize others that may not see things. Because what we want is we want them, just like you described, we want the Holy Spirit to move in them like He's moved in us. And to take us back, take them back to his word. Don't. That is. But you're right. Yeah, he will. He'll take us there. <clears throat> Let's keep going. Hebrews 11, 24. Do I have a time limit? Yeah. Okay. No, I'm leaving. I'm sorry. <laughs> See y'all later. I'm done. Yes, mommy to talk. Hebrews 11:24. Okay. Oh yeah, that's true. If it rains, what will we do? If it rains, we'll just move further under the tent. Okay. That's right. We're not afraid. We live in a temporary dwelling. By faith, Moses. When he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Messiah greater than the riches, greater riches than the treasure in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is visible. What? He endured as seeing him who is invisible. What did we read in Numbers chapter 12? He saw his form. I don't have to explain it. He's invisible. Moses saw his form in some way. Seeing, enduring as seeing him who is invisible, by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he be destroyed, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempted to do so were drowned. What is it that he saw? How can this, how can this passage be better translated? Quran is, is this veil. Uh, or excuse me, is this glory. What is this veil? In verse 7 and verse 11, katagero. Compare this to other uses of the katagero, however, in the apostolic scriptures. You can, you can begin to see that it's, not, it's, it's rarely translated passing away or fading away as it's sometimes in. It usually is just being something that covers or renders ineffective. In other words, it was seen and now it's not seen. In other words, it was hidden. That's all. That's all he's saying. The glory was hidden. That's all. It was hidden. Not passing away. The glory was hidden. Um... And the same thing in verse 11. Hidden from view is probably a better way of rendering it, although it may not, may not, may not be literal. Go to verse 13. 
And this tells us why this is what it's, what it's speaking of. Verse 13, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away, could not look at the telos or telos of what was hidden or what was rendered ineffective. Go to, here's where I want you to go to Romans chapter 10. It's purpose. That's right. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. And you may, you may already know a better way to ro- read Romans 10, 4. If not, this is it. So Messiah is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And everybody I hope in here knows that's not at all what it says. It says, for Messiah is the telos, is the goal, is the destination of the Torah. For righteousness to everyone, to everyone who believes. That's the desti- he's the destination. Now, some people think that the des- as, long as, I, as long as I've arrived, I don't need it anymore. And I, although I would disagree with that, even if that were true, I would say, but you haven't arrived. You're still living under the sun like I am. I want more. I, well, I want more too. But there's nothing more than him. But, but they still haven't arrived. When was the last time you saw him? You know, until you stand before him, then. Well, even then I'd say no. But even if you're going to use the argument that I don't need it anymore, <laughs> it's after you've arrived. And you haven't arrived yet. Maybe, maybe you have an inheritance that's sealed. And maybe you have a guarantee in the spirit maybe you have a guarantee but you do not hold and own it in possession yet this whole passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 all the way through chapter 4 uh, verse 6 is not giving us a contrast of Old Testament law versus New Testament grace it's giving us a contrast and this is why I chose this passage to finish our Kohelet study it's giving us a contrast of seeing what scripture is all about What's life all about? You can live under the sun. You can be weighed down by the vanity, the vapor, the temporariness of it. Living in a sukkah reminds us it is temporary. There are people who have constructed cathedrals to last four, five hundred years, but they still crumble sometimes. Sometimes they'll be gone. People build family life centers or buildings or whatever that neither here nor there good or bad but they think somehow it makes it makes a mark it does something and it passes away we've been called in this season to construct a temporary dwelling that in seven days we know we'll take down and yet in that temporary dwelling that we know will not exist beyond this we, we experience the eternal Kohelet is living in, in vanity the vainness and that's all that he wants us to see until he talks about life under the heavens. And that's exactly what we're seeing in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're seeing, we're seeing there's two ways to read it. It's a ministry of death or it's a ministry of life. One of the dirty little secrets is, is that scholars know what we're talking about. That sometimes seminaries don't teach it because it doesn't it doesn't really add up to what people are comfortable with and what they're already used to. And I accept that. I understand that. I, I, like, I like things I'm used to, too. Go back to Second Corinthians chapter 3. 
And look at verse 7. Start in verse 7. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, and it was, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was hidden, it was veiled, it had to be veiled because it caused them fear. What was it? To them it was a ministry of death. It was fearful. It was frightening. Don't scare us like that, Moses. You know? Moses, you speak for God because whenever he speaks, we're afraid we're going to die. If we hear his voice one more time, we will die. That's what they said. Moses, you speak. You speak for God. What did God say? This is a good thing, he, they say. This is a very good thing. We should be afraid. So it does appear like a ministry of death. But it's not just a ministry of death, because this is what it says. If it was glorious, and it is. Verse 8. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? What is the ministry of the Spirit? How is that different? Is it different? Can the Holy Spirit speak something? Can the Spirit of the Almighty say one thing and say another? Of course not. He's not a liar. He's not like men. He doesn't change his mind. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, and it did, then the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. Like Kohelet, you have a choice. You can live in vanity and see that there is no reward for the righteous and there is no punishment for the wicked. You can live and work hard and know that when you're gone, no one will remember your name. And even if they did, it doesn't make a difference to you because you're dead. That's your choice. You can live your own life. That's your choice. That is the ministry of death. That is not the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of righteousness is, fear God, keep his commandments. This is the duty of man. What he's speaking of is, not just hearing, but heeding. Not just hearing the good news, but obeying the good news. Spoken from the beginning, from the very first words that we have recorded. In the beginning. All of them are words that are leading us to Messiah. They're leading us to the path of righteousness. They're leading us to live righteousness out. What's the result? Uh, actually, you know, I would, I want to be careful because I don't want to be critical of, of, of people that we would consider our brothers and sisters. But at the same time, I have to recognize that a lot of times this passage, First Corinthians or Second Corinthians chapter three, is is being being pointed at our brothers and sisters, the Jewish people as well. Well, they didn't see, they didn't know, they don't see. They're covered; it's veiled. And I'm not disputing some of what's being implied by that. But I, what I am disputing is the fact that somehow um, uh, a, a sense of arrogance or pride. That we've got it figured out, and boy, are you going to get it figured out someday. I hope it happens uh, when you're on your knees. You know, and that, that really disturbs me. What I would offer is that there are two ways of looking at that, and that there is the same way. Those who refuse to pick up the Tanakh and to see the ten words and understand the beauty of the Almighty, the Creator of the universe, has given us a way to live righteously and see that that is merely a ministry of death that has passed away, I would say that they are the ones that are being fooled and deceived as well. Because they don't see Messiah in that. It is our duty when we read the Torah to see Messiah. It is our duty. Why? Because that is the shadow. 
He's been giving it to us. It's a shadow. It's a picture. It's not a picture and a shadow such as some who come and say, you know, now that it's all been fulfilled, I don't need it anymore. No, it's a shadow and it's a picture because it gives me a way to live. I can see it happening around me. I can experience it in Sukkot. I can experience it at, at Pesach. At, I can experience it at Shavuot. I can experience it at Rosh Hashanah. I can experience it every week in Shabbat. I can experience it in the prayers. Three times daily. I can experience it in the kindness that you show to me and I show to you. I can experience it in the love that we show to one another as brothers and sisters are we not experiencing the righteousness of God the shadows having substance don't we get a, a glimpse and, a, and an outline of him we do and I believe that's exactly what Paul's point is because the way that he finishes it the way that he finishes it is, is a challenge to us first of all the condemnation the condemnation that is that, that is found in Second Corinthians chapter three is what he's speaking of. The condemnation that is found in the Torah, indeed all of Scripture, the condemnation is the condemnation of not believing. That's it. Not believing. God said it, just believe it. God said it, just do it. Which is that's as essence of belief is you act upon it, right? It's not just enough to go, yeah, I think that's right. I act upon it. I'm going to do it. And in fact, that acting upon it is acting out, is, 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 is you know, kind of like dress up. You know, when your kids dress up and they want to dress like you, I'm an airline pilot. So to me, it was precious when my first son, at, at, uh, when, I was, when I was a young man, my first son, uh, he saw Daddy going to work. He put a, he put a uniform on. And, and uh, uh, it's all changed color now, but I have, a, I have a different color uniform. But it looks the same way. It's got a hat that goes with it. It's kind of dorky looking, but it's a hat. It's not a keeper, it's just a hat. It's not like Bob's hat. But what was precious to me is to see my little boy pick up that hat and put it on because he's going to go to work like Daddy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I can't, it's hard for me not to take those pictures of uh, a child-parent relationship and not see that, that our master has, has done the same thing. And God has revealed it. this is, it, it, can't, it can't be not pleasing to him to see us try and imitate him. You know, even when we do it wrong. You know, even when we when we when we go about it wrong because we don't know any better. You know, it's got to please him. You know, it's, he's got to look at us as children and say, "Look at that! They're trying to be like me. Look at that! They see they see that and they they see that looks like him." And I, man, that is that is so precious. It must endear him. It must endear us to him when he sees us imitating him like that. What is it that we end up with? Vapor. <laughs> Except we have, we have these shadows that we were given. These are the substance, y'all. They reveal the very substance. The goal, what we want, what we deeply desire for, to be in the presence of the Almighty for eternity. But we have this glimpse, this glimmer. We get these shadows, these pictures that give us this, this hope to know that, there's, uh, that it doesn't just end with us when we die or in the grave, that there's something far better. And we get to experience a little bit of it, a taste of it now, like Shabbat. We get to t- experience the, the world to come, just a 60th of it. You know, in Sukkot, we get to experience the world to come. Just, just a sixtieth of it, just a piece of it. But we get to experience it a little bit. The very commandments give us an experience of Him. And that's why we bless Him for it. It's a gift. Wow. You allow me to join you. And that means, that's let, thank you for letting me see you. Thank you for giving me your hat. Do I look like you? 
go to uh, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are now being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Isn't that cool? Just the idea of it. That, uh, uh, now, when I stand in the mirror, I look a lot different than, than, uh, than Yeshua looks. I would imagine. I don't really know what he looks like, but but because I have Zitzit on, I can I know that at least in that regard, you know, that if he's a, if he's an observant man, which I know he I know he is, then I look a little bit like him with that anyway. Uh, I don't maybe I look like him a lot and all the time, but I know that it that way I do. Can you think of some ways that you do, or some of the ways that you see others around you? Sometimes it's not best to look at yourself. Can you see others? Can you see things that they do, and you go, you know? That's exactly like I imagine. That's exactly what Scripture speaks of. Tell me some. Well, they're in jail and their generosity to have everyone care about You're like your father Abraham, too. Thank you. Generosity, hospitality, little things. The walls on the How great a mitzvah is. <laughs> what else? Some more. Some more things that you see. And your brothers and sisters and how they, how they reflect. The righteousness of God. In general terms, work, I think we see, see glimpses of God the most in relationship areas because that's where that's right. That's where it's uh, God says that we demonstrate our, our love for God and the love of God. That's right. Is in our relationships with one another. So in general, we're, we look at we see, you know, we see a reflection of the character of God in a good marriage, mm-hmm. in a good, uh, uh, you know, parent-child relationship. In, in a good uh, a leadership, leadership, a leader who is humble, who who sacrifices for others, whether right. it's a father or a leadership of a congregation or any kind of leader. So in, in, in general terms, those are the things that reveal to us God, relationships between people. That's right. And that, that's another reason why community is so important. Uh, those of you from Etzkaim, you have a precious, precious thing. And let me tell you why community is important. The Torah was meant to be lived in a community. It doesn't mean that you, on a desert island, can't obey God. You can't. But understand, it's about relationships. And it really is revealing. If you want to see the character of God revealed in His commandments, you see it lived in other people living obediently. When you show up at Shul on Shabbat, what do you see? You see obedience, don't you? Right there, they just showed up. You know, we drive, we drive, excuse me, we drive home. <laughs> Judah in the back seat, six years old, says, all these people are still working. Look, they're going shopping. And then he, and then he yells. They can't hear him. He yells, stop shopping. <laughs> go, go home. Rest. It's good. <laughs> right? But, but what we understand, what we understand is when we see, when we see obedience, we want everybody, we want everybody to obey. But what we understand is when we see obedience, Obedience to one another. We're seeing, wow, there's just there's a picture right there. God commanded, and those people are obeying. That's pretty neat. As a shape of the Almighty, it it looks vaporous to the world. It does. It looks like vapor under the sun. It just looks like nothing. Okay, so you have your religion. I have mine. You know, but we know more. We know we live under the, we know we live under the heavens, and we know that that's the true substance. It reveals what is eternal, the very outline and shape of the Almighty. Don't we? Anything else? Any other uh, any other ways that you see righteousness or the righteousness of God revealed in other people? Mm-hmm. Mom, show show. That we have a Moses. That's a very neat, humble man that leads us. 
Thank you, David. I see him laugh, I see him weep, and I know as Paul said, follow me as I follow Yeshua. Um, I want to follow David. That's good. That's very good. I agree. You can see that you really follow what the scripture says. If you don't say what is wrong, the blood of Sam is going to be in your hands. But if you say and say don't do, you are redeeming uh, something. That's right. And he does it every Shabbat. Yeah. I bet he does it with love, doesn't he? Yes. Yep. Yep. That's exactly the way we're supposed to do it. That's good. There's a trickle down too, you know, you see that in here the last few days, the people that have come in and they look for things that need to be done and they just do it. They don't even ask, they just do it. Did anybody find something that wasn't theirs here? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did you return it to their owner? <laughs> no, no. I had this morning. Somebody came over and they and they and they uh, they they were worried that they had the wrong lulav this morning at Shakari. They were worried they had the wrong lulav. Well, it's not mine. I can't take it. So <laughs> everybody's like, "Who's lulav?" <laughs> I got to make sure I get mine because that one's not mine. <laughs> Little things like that. I mean, that that's pretty remarkable. It really is. Um, community, um, I really experienced, it's just amazing, and so many of you reflect this, is it talks about the master being overwhelmed with compassion, and um, so many of you, that's what made me say, i got to come and stay here. <laughs> it is a precious thing, it really is, no question about it. Well, that's what the essence isn't the idea, though, if other people can see the shadow, even within our community, they can come in and see the shadow, and they can see it as a ministry of death. They can. You go into this, this you know, they can. You know, this whole picture in the, in the book of Hebrews, which we just went through That's right. and wrote about the two-edged sword. You know, the Torah is a two-edged sword. It is. Side. There's a side of life, and the other edge is a side of condemnation and That's death. right. You choose. And it, it's the choice of the person to see That's it. right. And, that, and that's what we're seeing here, and that's what we've been trying to see all week, oh. is you get to, you know, do not be surprised when people consider your acts of kindness, your righteousness that you live out as a ministry of death. You're a legalist, you know. I wish you could be more free. You know, they don't understand the freedom in it, of it. Don't be surprised by it. Don't, be, don't condemn them. I mean, it's, that's, what we, that's what we understand is very possible. When, you, when the wise man Solomon, speaking as simply a wise man, can say that all is vanity, then, then certainly everybody that sees the ministry of life in the acts and deeds of righteousness can see it as a ministry of death. They're going to see it. Oh, I don't want that boring life. What is it when, when one turns to the Lord, then the veil's taken away? Turning implies a change of direction, doesn't it? True. We turn. We turn to Him. What do we turn to? We turn to Him. When we look at Him, this is one of the things that is so wonderful. and It's why it is our duty, not just to live, but also to speak the truth. That when we read the Scriptures, that we speak of it to others, and we point things out, even though there's people who do not agree with us. We point it out and say, listen, this is Messiah here, this is what is speaking of. Look at here, this is the revelation of God. God has given us what He looks like here. If one could see him, um, and so what we need to understand is when one turns to the Lord, that is when we that is when we have the veil removed. We can't remove the veil. We can only turn to Him. 
We can't remove the veil for other people. But we can point them in the direction that they need to see. And here's my summary. The Torah is a revelation of a person. Messiah's shadow is cast into our lives when we live as God intended us to live. Seeing Messiah's shadow in the instructions of God in the Torah are the closest we will get to seeing him before he returns in his kingdom. We can see him in each other in that way. Life lived by Hashem's Torah is kingdom living now. It is not merely about putting things out for a time. You know, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. We talk about my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Now, I want to lay up treasures for, for sure. But I can experience some of those treasures today because he's given me, them to me to live now. Living in the living Torah is kingdom living now. Like dwelling in a sukkah allows us to observe his presence above us. We may experience the elements through the open door, excuse me, the open roof and walls, but we do not live under the sun. Let's close in prayer. Can we come in after? Yes, we can come in after if you like. We can come in now, however you want. This is open. Okay, let's 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 close in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you that you have given us Messiah, that you have purchased us, that we are yours. We know that is that it is because of his work we can stand before you righteous. The Father, we also know that is that it is his call, that it is his command that we obey. Father, we thank you that you have given us this demonstration of your love for us. And now we commit ourselves to a demonstration of love to you by obeying you. Take us, teach us how to take what we have learned this week and in this study and to live it faithfully before you. We pray in the name of our Master Messiah, Yeshua. Amen. I wanted to comment on the word. No more comments. No. <laughs>